Father, thanks for the privilege of coming together as a group of guys. And Lord, uh, we just pray that with uh, Malachi today, that you would uh, be the refiner's fire in our life and the fuller's soap. And Father, that you would cleanse from us the impurities of our lives that keep us from being fully devoted to your Son. So Lord, thanks for these guys and thanks for their um, persistence and their perseverance and their endurance to uh, finish strong here at Summit. So be with us, Father, today as we open your word and jump into the book of Malachi. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so what have we been trying to do, lo, these many weeks? Okay, we've opened four books that, you know, I, I dare say I haven't hung out much in. And, you know, most of you probably haven't uh, opened uh, Nahum and read it uh, passionately every morning. But, you know, if there's one thing that we can get from each one of these books, it's that uh, the questions that the prophets were writing about in that day are also questions that definitely apply to us in our day. Okay? And so the bottom line that we want for you guys is that we are seeking, uh, you know, we, we know that we can't teach you the book of uh, uh, Joel in 20 minutes or the book of Nahum in 20 minutes. But what we hope to do is give you a framework so that as you go back and read Nahum again or read Joel again, that you'll have a framework and an outline and a frame of reference that, you know, you'll have that skeleton so that you can start to put some flesh on the bones that uh, maybe we've started uh, in your own mind throughout Summit. Okay? And we hope that you'll get some understanding of the text and that you'll also, um, our goal is to drive you to those application questions so that you're asking yourself those hard questions in life about am I compassionate about the same things that God is compassionate about? What needs to be removed from my life so that I can take refuge in Him? Okay? And so as we jump in, uh, um, we'll be finishing up in Malachi today. Um, prepare the way. Let's uh, do a quick review of the books that we've taken a look at. Okay, so Joel. You know, that powerful image in the first chapter of Joel that causes us to ask this question about what am I doing about the locusts in my life that are eating away the good things that God would want for me. And so we saw there the immediate day of the Lord and the imminent day of the Lord, referring to the foreign army invasion that was coming in Joel's day. Um, and then the ultimate day of the Lord when Christ will come back And, you know, uh, Joel is asking them the same question that uh, Malachi is asking in our study today. Is my heart going to be ready for the Lord when he returns? Okay, and so then we move to the book of Jonah. And, you know, we use the image of a great fish. But, guys, this isn't a fish story. Okay, God uses that fish to demonstrate his compassion first to Jonah as he saves Jonah when Jonah is fleeing from God. And then he uses that same fish by saving Jonah to save the people of Nineveh uh, who on whom God has great compassion. And you sit there and you go, well, these guys were enemies of Israel. 
And so, Lord, what are you doing helping these guys? That's the question that Jonah asked. And, you know, the book ends with that great question where Nahum, uh, I'm sorry, where uh, God asked Jonah, should I not have compassion on the people of Nineveh? And so the question is, you know, what are the things in our life that we don't have compassion on that God would have us have compassion on? You know, what are the things in our lives that um, we need to show some mercy towards? Who are the people in our lives that we need to show some mercy towards instead of um, writing them off? Do I have the same sort of heart that God has for other people? And then we jumped into Nahum, smoking chariots, and we saw the the destruction of Nineveh decreed, described in that great battle scene in chapter 2, and then ultimately uh, Nahum writes about how it's deserved. And, you know, uh, I love Nahum 1-7, the Lord is good, um, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. And so the question we got to ask ourselves, what in our lives need to be destroyed so that we will take refuge in God? That's a hard question. But you know, one of the things I love about Summit is this is a safe place to ask that sort of question with a bunch of guys who are asking themselves that same sort of question. Okay? And then um, let's jump over to Malachi, and we use the image of robbing God. Here's a little different uh, outline uh, than the one uh, I gave you last week. Um, So we have the Lord's compassion for Israel in the uh, first five verses of the book. And then from 1.6 to 2.17, we see the Lord's complaint against Israel. And finally, the rest of the book deals with the Lord's coming being announced to Israel. And the questions I picked here are, what areas of your life have you failed to give God the honor and fear, the respect that He deserves? And is your heart ready for the return of Christ? Is your heart ready? Prepare the way, Malachi said. And, you know, God sent someone who acted as Elijah Uh, in the person of John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of his son. And, you know, his son is coming back, and that's what we have to look forward to. Okay? Um, So on the next slide, uh, I'm going back to the uh, slide we talked about uh, last week on the detailed outline. Remember how we broke it up into six disputes? And... um, We're going to focus on the last three disputes today. And uh, guys, you know, as a lawyer, I've had lots of chances to um, be in arguments before judges. Okay? I was a trial lawyer for 30 years, and so that's what I did. Uh, And in the course of that time, I even had a couple of arguments with judges. And I'm here to tell you there is nothing to be gained from arguing with a judge. And obviously these are not the righteous heavenly judge, uh, but there's still nothing to be gained from arguing with judges. Okay? Nothing good ever came out of that. But the bottom line is that we're dealing with the righteous judge of heaven, 
And you see in these six arguments that, you know, nothing much good comes for those who argue with God. Now, if you read the Psalms, you'll see that, hey, David was pretty frank with God. And he was willing to be bold with God, even brash with God. But, you know, you really never saw David argue with God. Even in the midst of his Bathsheba uh, affair, um, you know, when Nathan confronted him, he acknowledged that, man, he had messed up big time. And when he writes Psalm 51 in response to that, what does he say? He says, you know, Father, against you and you only have I sinned. Because he knew that he had... uh, um, Gravely offended his heavenly father. And so, guys, there's nothing good to be uh, gained from arguing with um, judges. But you see, four more or three more times for this week, we see uh, Malachi dealing with people who were arguing against God. And remember how we talked about the chiastic structure from uh, uh, last week? And so we see in Disputes 4, 5, and 6 how they are mirror images, as it were, of what happened in the first three disputes. And uh, again, it points to the need for faithfulness being those two central disputes. Okay? You remember how in uh, Disputes 2 and Disputes 5 you had uh, two but-you-say paragraphs, there are statements that uh, underscore that um, we're dealing with uh, a chiastic structure that simply help uh, both the prophet communicate a message and the people be able to receive the message, understand it, and remember it. Okay? And so let's dive into the fourth, fifth, and sixth disputes. And you remember, um, the structure of each dispute starts with an assertion either by God or by the prophet. It's uh, followed by the people responding with a but you say. And then we see the prophet or God uh, give evidence to substantiate the assertion that uh, has just been made. And uh, we talked about the, uh, how uh, the chiastic structure is uh, uh, underscored. And as we look at these uh, last three disputes, uh, open up your Bibles to uh, Malachi 3. And you'll see in the first one, we're really talking about how the people are wearying God. In the uh, fifth dispute, the second one for this week, we see how they're robbing God. And then in the final one, we see how they're speaking against God. And so, you know, God's justice is immediately at issue in the first dispute. And I love the picture that he gives. Um, In verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And you know, both of those things are used to remove impurities. Uh, one from uh, silver or gold, uh, precious uh, uh, metals. Uh, one from wool. That's what a fuller soap is used to do to remove, remove the impurities from wool uh, as it's being prepared. And you know, the picture of the refiner is a great one. Uh, verse 3 goes on and says, this is in Malachi 3.3, 3, He will sit 
as a refiner and purifier of silver. And I did a little looking about, you know, what does it mean to uh, refine silver? And the process entails the refiner sitting there at his bench. Um, and in fact, he sits because he needs to be steady. And he's got his eye intently fixed on the silver in the fire. Because once the, the um, time necessary for the refining process has occurred, if he leaves it in for even an instant too long, the silver will be ruined. And you might ask, well, how does he know exactly when um, the silver is ready to come out of the fire? Well, it's interesting that when he can see his reflection in the silver, then the silver is ready to be removed from the fire. Verse 3 again, he says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And you know, when God can see his reflection in us, then he knows that we're ready to be used by him. Uh, Romans 8.29 talks about being conformed to the image of his son, and that's what he seeks to do. That's how he uses the trials and tribulations that come into our own lives. He uses those to refine us in a way so that we'll be ready to be used for his purposes. When he can see his image in us, then we're ready to be used uh, for his purposes. Uh, the fifth dispute talks about robbing God. And, you know, if you think arguing with God is a bad thing, well, robbing God is even worse. You know, we operate under the principle that everything belongs to the Lord, okay? And that He entrusts us as stewards to use some of His resources. And He's given some of us more resources than others. And, you know, right here at Watermark, we've had a great opportunity to test our own hearts about our resources. Wagner likes to say, and I couldn't agree with him more, because it really pierces right here. He likes to say that, hey, it's not really about what you give. It's about what you keep that really reveals the heart. It's about what you keep. We've had that opportunity in the response to the children's building. I'm not going to ask how many have responded to that, but our goal is not to have everybody give money to the children's uh, building so that we can uh, take care of our kids in the way that we ought to. The goal is simply to have everybody respond. And so, guys, if you've not responded, I would encourage you to search your heart and respond. And if you can give, that's great. If the Lord has um, encouraged you and blessed you in a way where you had the opportunity to give uh, from what He's entrusted to you, that's great. But it's also okay if the Lord's not moving you to give at this point in time, but you need to respond. You know, the, the principle for giving for the New Testament is found in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9. And uh, chapter 9 in particular talks about being a cheerful giver, not under uh, necessity or under compulsion, but a cheerful giver who gives as uh, one purposes in his own heart. And so, you know, as with everything, guys, it's always the heart that's the issue, even in giving. And so I really encourage you to take this opportunity to respond. But this message isn't about uh, responding to the children's building opportunity. Uh, But look at what it says in uh, verse 10. 
The Lord says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then look how he closes that um, verse. He says, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And you know, that's the way God operates. We don't give so that God will bless us. But it is amazing how when we have given sacrificially that God sees fit to somehow uh, bless us in ways that um, may not be monetary, but it may be a work that's simply done in our own lives that takes our heart and makes us um, refined like that silver so that we see uh, His image being reflected instead of ourselves. Does that make sense? He wants to see His image being reflected as He purifies and removes from us the dross of our lives that keep us from reflecting His image. And the final one talks about speaking against God. And you really see a contrast between those who argue with God and those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name And what was the result? Those guys were the Lord's treasured possession. How about that as a description of you? Wouldn't we all like to be the Lord's treasured possession? So which one are you? Are you one who's going to speak against God and argue with Him? Are you going to be somebody who's going to be the treasured possession? And on the last slide, I've got three questions there for you. So what do the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap need to remove from your own life? And what are you giving to God, and what are you keeping for yourself? And the final question, are you God's treasured possession? And if not, what needs to change in your life? And I love how um, the book closes. Verses 5 and 6 in chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then listen to this. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You know, last week we talked about um, dads and their little guys. And... um, As the minister to men here, uh, one of the great things that I get to do, the thing really I enjoy the most, is the chance to meet with guys. And I literally meet with, you know, hundreds of guys during the course of a year. And you know, the number one issue that I hear from the guys that I meet with, and some of these guys are older than I am, are dad issues. Father issues that they're still dealing with and trying to process and trying to get over. And so, you know, fathers have a profound impact because I know my father had a profound impact on me. And some of you are sitting there saying, yeah, well, that explains a lot. Um, But I'm here to tell you guys if I'm screwed up, and there are a lot of ways that I am. It's not because of my dad. I had a great father. I had a dad who loved me in a, uh, an amazing sort of way that uh, I hope that when I'm done being a dad, 
that uh, my fathers will be able to say, my children will be able to say the same thing about me. Because, you know, when I was playing sports, he was there. You know, if he were still alive today, uh, and just because I was here setting up for Summit, he'd be here just because his boy was involved in this. <laughs> Didn't think I'd get choked up about this, but, um, you know, fathers and sons have a uh, special relationship. And uh, as I think about what made my dad uh, different, I think about uh, that he was a man of integrity. Uh, guys could trust what Willard Crotty said to him. I know this because guys have told me this. Guys have told me about instances where my dad just went out of his way to be kind to somebody who was new in the insurance business. My dad was an independent insurance agent. Uh, about guys who have um, just been helped in business. Uh, even though they were competitors, about he was a man of humility. You know, um, I've had the privilege of being uh, president of a bunch of things. You know, he may have been president of uh, maybe one thing uh, in his life, and he was a man who uh, lived a humble life. He lived in a humble way, and he lived a humble life. But he became a believer when he was 40 years old, and it profoundly impacted him, and ultimately it profoundly impacted each member of his family. And I'm here to tell you that, uh, um, you know, none of the bad, but all of the good in my life is because of uh, uh, what my dad did in pouring himself into my life. And you guys who are fathers had that same opportunity. And you guys who are single guys, you know, there are tons of kids out there who would love to go hang out with you. And we've got all sorts of opportunities to do that in West Dallas and other places where you can make an impact, single guys, by taking a little guy under your wing and pouring your life into him. You know, it's a great thing as we end that... The Lord promises that uh, He'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers. And we had that chance today to do that with the um, kids that are in our lives. If we will be the kind of guys who are refined and reflect God's image. Guys, it's been a, uh, uh, a fun time to be a part of Summit with y'all. And so I am grateful for your faithful attendance at Summit. And as always, we are looking to make Summit better each time. And so if you have feedback or comments or questions about any aspect of Summit, from the food to uh, what we've done for the curriculum to the Worsby workbook, we're always looking for your feedback. You can email me at bcrotty at watermark.org. And um, I'm grateful for the privilege of hanging out with a bunch of guys like you. So y'all are blessings in my life. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thanks for this opportunity. And thanks for the fact that uh, we have earthly fathers who sometimes in their imperfection uh, drive us to seek the comfort of our Heavenly Father. And yet, Father, we want to be uh, earthly fathers who turn our children's hearts to you. 
And so may we uh, work on that well today. And may we be uh, people who, as you remove the impurities of our life, that uh, will allow you to see your son's reflection in our lives. So thanks for each of these guys, Father, and I pray your uh, heavenly blessings on each one of them. Thanks for this time. In Christ's name, amen.